guys, welcome to D&D Optimized, the show where each week we take a deep dive into one or two specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons 5e. We do our best to optimize it to give you the greatest numerical advantage for your chosen role. So if you, like me, spend several hours a week playing Dungeons & Dragons and several more fantasizing about the characters you would like to be playing in Dungeons and & Dragons and thinking about what would make them more powerful, more fun to play. Welcome home. This is the show for you. So we are happy to have you pull up a chair by the fire, grab a tankard of your favorite beverage, and let's theorycraft. My name's Colby. Happy to have you. Coincidentally, my name is not Homelander. And, I mean, enough with the with the Homelander, you look like Homelander. I mean, could we just get somebody that's a little bit less evil? Like uh, Paul Walker or something? Give me something. But actually, I'll take the Homelander too. That's fine. I'm flattered. He's a good-looking, if incredibly villainous and frightening dude. Anyway, um, really excited about the show this week. First of all, um, we are coming up on a thousand subscribers on YouTube anyway, and the podcast version of the show had uh, hit a thousand downloads this week. So that was cool. Um, so thank you. And yeah, let's keep it up. If, if we, when we get a thousand subscribers, I'll, I guess I'll have to do something. Maybe I'll sing you guys a song or something. I don't know. I don't have a lot uh, for you there, but Let's, let's keep going. Um, this week, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came out. Uh, well, by the time this show hits, it will have been a week, right? Um, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything changes everything. Um, I mean, it impacts every build that I've done thus far, some in fairly minor ways, some in really significant ways. And I've had a ton of comments of people saying, Hey, how does how does this impact by Tasha's? How does this change, you know, after Tasha's? Um, and so that's what we're doing, right? Uh, we we need to go back now. Here's the problem: the book is really big, and there's a lot of content in there. And I have done 17 episodes thus far, so that's a lot of stuff to talk about. So my plan to 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 get into Tasha's is the following. I want to give first kind of my overall impressions of the book, highlight some things. Um, but then I want to actually go into each build that I've done, taking them one at a time, and just sort of briefly, hopefully, briefly-ish, talk about how the things that Tasha's introduces actually changes the build. Um, and that way it will give us a chance to kind of look at some specific things in Tasha's and how it affects sort of some concrete in-game examples, uh, you know, how it might alter a build, things like that. Um, like I said, most of the stuff in Tasha's has a fairly minor to medium impact. One build in particular is very sort of drastically changed, I think, um, by the new stuff in Tasha's, and that's my Bladesinger episode, which I did, um, it was episode seven. It also happens to be by far my most popular video to date. It's four or five times more viewership than any other video I've done. 
So I've been getting a lot of people specifically asking, can you give us an update here? And because it's as popular as it is, and because there's so many changes, I'm actually going to do an entire episode just on the Blade Singer. So I'm going to come out with a 2.0. That'll be next week. So today we're going to go through the first six builds, um, along with a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, a overview, and then. Um, we're going to do Bladesinger 2.0, which was number seven. And then we're going to do another episode that basically goes over the rest of the builds and updates them uh, accordingly. So we've got a few weeks here of content for Tasha's and I apologize. I'm not trying to milk this for more content. I just, I, I think that it really changes just about every build. It's important to talk about it. I know you guys are interested. It's, it's a fantastic book and I'm excited about it. So anyway, we're going to jump in starting now. First impressions and the thing that I maybe love the most about Tasha's, um, you know, the versatility that you get with races, I think, is just fantastic. Um, it, it has always struck me as odd, like, for example, in Star Wars, right? For some reason, though Earth, as we know it, it has temperate zones and desert areas and Arctic and, you know, all these different climates. In Star Wars, for some reason, every planet is either just totally desert or totally jungle or totally ice covered, right? Um, that has seemed a little weird to me. And similarly, in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, if humans come in all shapes and sizes, some are strong, some are smart, some are agile, some are fat, some are skinny, some are, you know, whatever, how come all elves are really dexterous and all dwarves are really hardy, right? I love that they've kind of added some things that let you um, customize your character in a way that you couldn't previously and say, yeah, I'm a dwarf, but guess what? I'm a really agile dwarf. Why not, right? Why do all dwarves have to be exactly the same? So that's really cool. Um, of course, the biggest, maybe most powerful from a purely optimization standpoint option that they introduced here is the... Um, you know, the, oh, what's it called? Not, uh, the custom lineage, sorry, thank you. Custom lineage um, basically says now that um, <clears throat> you can basically say you're whatever race you want, elf, dwarf, gnome, arakokra, human, half-elf, you name it, um, but then here's your, here's your stat block, right? You get plus two to a stat of your choice, <clears throat> you get to choose between dark vision or proficiency in a skill, um, you know, etc. But then maybe more importantly, or most important of all for us, is you can get a free feat. I love this because now we don't have to always say we're human. We're variant human because we want the free feat because the free feat is just so dang powerful. What's more, it also lets us pick up um, you know, for example, a free feat, and also be able to get elven accuracy later. And a lot of my builds, you know, anytime you're attacking with advantage, which I'm always looking for a way to get advantage, and you're using dexterity or charisma for your attack, so your hexblade warlocks, your crossbow fighters, your, you know, your blade singers, your rogues, um, they're gonna benefit immensely from elven accuracy. And before it was like, do you want the free feat? Or do you want the elven accuracy? Now we can have our cake and eat it too. 
which is going to make a lot of the builds that I've done a lot more powerful. The drawback here is that when one option is so clearly better than the rest, which I think this particular custom lineage is, you kind of feel like you don't have a choice and that's what you choose every time. Now, now cosmetically and for your own kind of role play purposes, it's great because you can take that custom lineage and still be a dwarf or a gnome or a dragonborn or whatever, right? And get that free feat. But if you also want elven accuracy, according to my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys know otherwise, but I don't believe they've changed, for example, elven accuracy to just be called accuracy now, right? It still says the prerequisite is that you're an elf or a half elf. So, um, as far as I know, if you want elven accuracy, you still have to be an elf or a half elf. You could take the custom lineage option and say, I'm an elf or I'm a half elf, right? So that you can qualify for that prerequisite. Um, but it does make it feel pretty limited now to say, well, yeah, we're taking custom lineage and you're gonna be an elf or a half elf, whichever you want. Now, that may change, or maybe, I, maybe I'm misunderstanding. I haven't seen any updates in Tasha's or in D&D Beyond that would indicate otherwise to me that they've sort of gotten rid of that prerequisite. Um, so anyway, we can update that if it turns out to be the case. But for now, we're gonna be playing a lot of elves and half elves. And so, sorry if that bothers you. And again, you know, this is just purely for the numbers and you can always do something else if it makes more sense for you, it's more fun for you, that's ultimately our goal. Um, but when we're talking optimization, that's gonna be the assumption we're gonna be making a lot of the time. Um, do keep in mind, of course, that you can call yourself an Aracocra, but if you're taking the custom lineage option, you don't get to fly, right? You're, a, you're the chicken or penguin version of the Aracocra, your wings don't work. Or, you know, you can call yourself a bugbear, but you're not gonna get that reach that bugbears get. Or call yourself a hill dwarf, but you're not gonna get the extra hit points every level, right? You just get the stats as per the custom lineage option. Um, so, you know, if you have a build that is really dependent upon a specific racial feature that is not included in the custom lineage description, um, then you're going to need to go another route. You're gonna pass up on the free feet, but hey, if that's what you want to do or need to do, do it, right? So that's fantastic. Um, I love all of the new subclasses. That I mean, every single, every single class got some new subclasses. Some of them, were sort of old and either updated or just reprinted here, um, but there's so many great ones that I just look at and go, oh, I wanna build a character using that, I wanna build this, I wanna build this, so that's fantastic. Um, selfishly, for the purposes of this show, it just gives us that much more content to cover in future episodes, but yeah, some really great, really powerful ones. Um, the feats <clears throat> are fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. The one that really stands out to me is um, well, there's a few, but, um, you know, the Eldritch Adept, I think it's called, that lets you take a Warlock um, Invocation as a feat. Really cool. Or or a Fighter Fighting Style as a feat. Um, those are great. It's going to prevent some multi-classing in, in some cases, um, which will be just really fun and interesting and powerful. Um, 
the spells are phenomenal. Uh, Booming Blade, Green Flame Blade change makes me a little sad. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that. Um, but beyond that, the ones that really stand out are the new Conjure spells. Conjurers just got, like, Christmas. I mean, there are so many fantastic ones. Um, and in fact, they're going to take the place of our concentration spells in some of the builds. Um, the Bladesinger in particular is going to benefit from this. Um, they are expensive. They come with a, a high um, material cost, but it's not consumed when you cast the spell, so you just got to get the material components and then you can cast it often, right? Um, they're really strong. They scale really nicely when you upcast them at higher levels. They get, you know, the things that you conjure get multi-attacks. Um, so yeah, if you haven't looked at those, check them out. <clears throat> Sorry, my favorite is the Fey, the Conjure Fey. I just want to have a pixie, a fuming pixie all the time that's just going into battle and uh, yelling curses at, uh, at my enemies. But anyway, they don't, go on, they don't go on your turn. They have their own initiative. They don't require your action or your bonus action to do things. They just obey your verbal commands. Those things are really, really powerful. Um, the magic items, the last thing that I'll kind of mention briefly, I love them. I don't ever talk about magic items in my episodes, as I'm sure some of you have noticed. And I've had some people say, you know, can you talk about magic items and what magic items would be best? The reason is because there's just never a way to know or guarantee what magic items you're going to be getting. Now, some of you play games once in a while where your dungeon master might start you at a higher level and say, and everybody gets a an uncommon magic item of your choice or a rare magic item of your choice. Or if you play an adventure league, that happens sometimes. But for a lot of us, especially if we're starting at level one, you just don't know. And so I just don't want to take time talking about a magic item where it's probably not going to be applicable for a large number of my listeners and viewers. That said, the magic items in Tasha's are great, particularly the, um, the spellcaster magic items. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> there are ones that will bump your spellcasting modifier, essentially. So when you're casting a spell to hit, it will raise it and, and it will raise the difficulty check of you know your enemies trying to resist the effects of your spells and we've never seen anything like that in here and it's so good and if you have um, if you have a a build that's that's all or mostly spell damage they're so good and I'm thinking death cleric in fact I am making a death cleric right now for a campaign that I'm playing and um, just salivating because we are getting to choose a magic item, and I'm so taking it, and it's going to be awesome. So anyway, those are really good. Um, the tattoos are super cool. I don't know that any of them really just scream out at me like really powerful, um, except for maybe the harder to get ones, the <clears throat> excuse me, the the very rare <clears throat> or legendary tattoos are are super strong, but. The, the more common and uncommon and even rare ones feel a little niche to me, but I love the idea thematically. They're super awesome. So anyway, if you haven't gotten the book, I strongly recommend it. It's got a lot of great content, and I just have had a blast over the last week spending time digging into it all. Um, <clears throat> so let's move on to the builds. I will say this before we jump in. 
If you have not watched these first six episodes that I'm going to talk about today, I strongly recommend that you do so. If, if I mention something and, and it seems like, oh gosh, that sounds fun or that sounds really strong, I haven't, I haven't watched that video yet, I would watch the video. I'm not, I'm going to gloss over it. I'm going to assume that you know kind of generally what my recommendations were for this build. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, how we're building it and all of the minutiae and the details of it, I'm, I'm gonna really just kind of gloss over it all. So if something that I say when I'm talking about the build sparks your interest and you think, oh, I'd like to know more about that or I'm confused about this, check out the original video that I reference first. Um, and then if you still have questions after that, you know, hit me up and uh, I'll try and address them. So first one up is the Hexblade Warlock. So there's actually not a lot of changes to the uh, to the Hexblade Warlock. Um, you know, your race now is going to be the custom lineage, elf or half-elf, uh, so you can get that free feat. You're going to take your plus two to charisma, of course, um, and your free feat is still going to be polearm master because having a weaponized bonus action from level one is just really strong. Um, at level 4 you go Great Weapon Master, and at level 8 you take Elven Accuracy, bumping your Charisma to an 18. And now, at, by level 8, you have Polar Master, Great Weapon Master, Elven Accuracy. You're attacking in your Darkness Bubble, right, or Shadow of Moil, so you're getting triple advantage now. Um, and it basically just made one of, the what, one of what was already one of the strongest builds in the game for sustained damage um, even better at earlier levels. So um, it's, it's a damage buff, especially early on. You know, there, there is a new uh, pact that you can get, uh, Pact of the Talisman, and it's cool, and we'll talk about it later, but you really have to go Pact of the Blade still um, for, for this build. Um, definitely consider, there's a new invocation, a new um, Eldritch invocation called Eldritch Mind which will give you advantage on your saves to maintain concentration. Definitely take that once you can fit it in. You don't need, you know, whatever invocations you're giving up. Um, it's really strong having advantage to maintain your concentration, obviously. And now you don't have to take the Warcaster feat if you don't want to. Um, you know, if you really want to, to have kind of the cast a spell on an opportunity attack and things like that, you can, but it's not as important, right? Um, you might want to encourage your party members now, after Tasha's, to take either the Eldritch Adept feat and pick up Devil's Sight so they can see in your darkness bubble and thereby get advantage, or the fighting style, there's a new fighting style called Blind Sense um, fighting style, which basically lets you, as long as you can hear, um, you don't have disadvantage. You know, you can essentially see your target um, as long as they're within 10 feet of you. So again, if you want to cast a darkness bubble and you've got a fighter in your party or a barbarian or a rogue, you know, some melee character, these are great options to now let them also get advantage on every single attack um, and, and give the enemy disadvantage when attacking them, right? Um, so that's potentially really cool and gives you some nice synergy and makes your darkness bubble potentially less of a pain for uh, your allies. If that's not going to work, that's not going to happen, then obviously continue to just take Shadow of Moil when you hit level 7. 
um, and then you don't have that big 30 foot bubble of darkness making things difficult. Um, <clears throat> if I were to build a character using, if I were to build a Hexblade today, I would, I would actually copy the build from um, my Yin Yang team episode. Watch that if you haven't, um, if you're interested. It's basically almost the same, but you start with fighter level one to get um, constitution saving throw proficiency, as well as just some better and easier gear, better gear, easier levels at the beginning of your game. Just one level in fighter, then start going warlock all the way till you're a warlock 14. Um, and then I take, you know, a couple more fighter levels to pick up things like um, uh, action surge and, and to get uh, the rune knight for your fighter subclass. Now, rune, knife, rune knight got nerfed, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but that's what I would do for the Hexblade Warlock. Um, check out either episode one or the yin-yang build, uh, team build that I did, um, which was episode 16, I think. Moving on to episode two, our crossbow expert fighter. Um, first off, an errata, a correction, you cannot use a shield and a hand crossbow, as I said you could in that episode. Some commenters pointed that out to me, and it's a good point. You, you do still need a free hand in order to load, even though cr the crossbow expert feat lets you ignore the, uh, the other loading aspects. It's the ammo, the ammunition aspect of it that, that dictates you, you know, you need a free hand, so you can't have a shield. Anyway, you're still using a hand crossbow. Um, you know, the biggest change to this build is that Rune Knife got hit with the nerf stick. Fairly hard, and you know, it's okay. Because Rune Knight was a little OP, let's be honest. It was a little overpowered. So, you know, previously, as a Rune Knight, um, at level 3, you, you, you have this, you get this giant's might feature and it lets you grow to a large size and then all of your weapon attacks were made with an extra d6 and later a d8. Um, now it's just once per turn you get an extra d6 of damage and that's a little more balanced frankly um, but makes you sad a little bit anyway. Uh, the, 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 that damage will scale all the way up to a d10 if you get enough levels in fighter um, and the other runes you get are still really cool. They give you some nice passive advantages. They give you some nice kind of utility and control. Once per short rest options, even twice per short rest later. So I still love the Rune Knight. I think it's really cool, and I love that they included it as official content now. Um, but if I were going to make this build today, here's what I would change. Um, so you'd want to do the custom lineage Elf or a half elf, um, bumping you know two to your deck, so you start at a 17 dex, um, and then at uh, at level six, so so at level four, you you know you sorry your free feet is still you're still starting with the hand crossbow or sorry crossbow expert, you're taking sharpshooter at four, at level six, because fighters get uh, another feat at level six, I would go elven accuracy then. Um, the, this build's biggest weakness was not having uh, a reliable source of advantage, right? Um, it made the, your damage arc very flat and 
and it would slope downward very quickly, right? As the, as the enemy AC went up, your damage went down drastically and quickly. Um, because of that sharpshooter feat that gives you plus 10 to damage, awesome, minus 5 to hit, boo. Um, and so your damage arc looked bad, and I really want to find a way to get advantage on my attacks to flatten that curve. And, and then, of course, with Elven Accuracy, it's, it's that much better, right? So, after taking 11 levels in Fighter, because you want that third attack, that third attack, that third attack is huge that fighters get, then I would take three levels in Warlock, yes, to get Darkness and Devil Sight, so you'd get advantage on all of those attacks that you were making. Um, as far as the Patron, uh, I would go with Genie, as opposed to Hexblade. You don't really need Hexblade. Hexblade's nice because, well, you guys know why Hexblade's nice. Genie is, is a new subclass, it's fantastic. Um, among other things, it lets you do once per turn, um, when you hit a, hit your target, extra damage equivalent to your proficiency bonus. So it's, it's a nice little damage increase. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, like, I like reliable, sustainable damage as opposed to with the Hexblade's curse, you do a lot of extra damage to one target once per short rest. I'm a sucker for sustained, reliable, every round kind of damage, that's me. <clears throat> anyway, so we're going Genie, plus I'm sick of Hexblades. Talk about Hexblades too much. Um, I would take Pact of the Blade, um, because mostly for the improved Pact Weapon cantrip, you know, that plus one. If you already have a magical hand crossbow by the time you're level, you know, 12, 13, 14, go for something else. Feel free to knock yourself out with the talisman. We'll talk, we'll get into that a little bit more later or the pack to the chain or whatever. There's lots of cool options. Um, but then after three levels in Warlock, I just, I'm just going back to Rune Knight. Um, so by levels 13 and especially 14, your damage is actually a little better than version 1.0. At, at, it, it's, it's a little better at 10 armor class. It's way better at the higher armor classes. So I have up, updated all of the graphs and spreadsheets. So go to the episode or check the show notes or, or video description here and, and look for those graphs and you'll see at least I've at least updated the first six. Um, I'll get to the others later. But so the graphs, the numbers and things are all updated and you'll see um, that this build is a lot stronger, especially at higher levels and at higher armor classes. Um, now, if you're not going to play, if you want to try this character and you're not going to play them at a higher level, you're going to end at level 12 or 13 or 14 or something like that, um, here's an alternative build that, uh, that I really like. Instead of taking Warlock levels, you're going to stick with Fighter, you're going Fighter all the way, but you're going to go, instead of Rune Knight, you're gonna go Eldritch Knight. I've had a bunch of people ask for an Eldritch Knight build, and, and this might be one, but it's a it's a it's a quick and dirty um, compared to my other builds. But anyway, so Eldritch Knights, of course, get wizard spells, right? And Darkness is one of those uh, that you can get access to. Um, you don't get it until later. I think it's level seven. I want to say, um, but you'll get it eventually. Um, now. What you'll do is, uh, instead of taking Elven Accuracy at level 6, 
you would take um, you would take the Eldritch Adept feat and that I mentioned at the beginning right now this lets you get an Eldritch invocation and so you would take that feat and for your invocation you would pick Devil Sight now you can see in magical darkness and so as soon as you get the darkness spell you can do the same thing you can cast darkness on yourself and you can see in it so you're attacking with advantage and then at level eight you would take elven accuracy to have triple advantage um it's great the eldritch knight build doesn't give you the bonus damage that you were getting from the warlock specifically um from you know the genie and stuff like that uh, like we mentioned, so again, at later levels, it tapers off. But if you want to just go fighter, you don't want to multi-class into warlock, this is a great option to let you kind of still get that triple advantage and see a flatter damage damage arc. Again, no, your, your DPR, your damage per round, isn't going to be quite as high as what I originally suggested. But guess what? You get a bunch of wizard spells, and that's really cool. That other build couldn't cast fireball, right? Um, so, you know, to consider that, especially if you're, if you're not going really high into, um, into your, 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 your upper levels in your campaign. One last thing I'll mention. You're probably going to want to pick up the Piercer feat at some point. This is a new feat from Tasha's. It's great. I love, they gave, they gave three new feats. One for bludgeoning damage dealers, one for piercing damage dealers, one for slashing damage dealers. Um, the piercing damage one is, is really the only one, for the most part, for all intents and purposes, that is going to give you a damage increase. Um, so basically, once per turn, you can re-roll one of the attack's damage dice if you're dealing piercing damage, which you are with this build. Uh, and when you get a crit, you get to roll one extra damage die. Um, kind of like the Barbarian's Brutal Critical. Now, they're only D6s, so it's not a ton more damage, but you're going to be critting fairly often. So it's it's a nice little damage per round bump. Um, probably take that once your dexterity is capped. So anyway, uh, if, if, if you want to go with the Eldritch Knight, let me know what other spells you guys would take aside from Darkness uh, in the comments. I'd be curious to see. I mean, there's... There's some utility ones, there's some control ones, there's damage ones. Um, anyway, it, it could be really fun and still let you kind of capture that feeling of basically having a medieval Uzi <laughs> that, uh, that we created this build for. The Bear Totem Barbarian. Um, my first tank build and uh, not hardly, hardly anything changes for this guy. Um, you know, instead of variant human, you're going with the uh, with the custom lineage. Um, but other than that, it's almost exactly the same. The only thing that I'd maybe add for the bear barb or the barbarian, which really is better. I should have gone barbarian. I know. But anyway, um, I would add the new slasher feat when you can get it. Once you've got sentinel and polearm mastered down. Um, Slasher is great, particularly for this build, because this build was focused not so much on damage, but on kind of controlling the battlefield, locking your opponents down, thereby protecting your backline, drawing their attention, getting them to attack you, right, and then being hard to kill. Um, the slasher feat, if you deal slashing damage, which you would be with a glaive or a halberd, um, is actually going to 
when you hit with with it, uh, when you hit with your with your weapon, you can reduce movement by 10 feet. Now, you're not stopping them dead in their tracks like you do with the sentinel feet when you're making attacks of opportunity, but slowing them down by 10 feet might be just enough to keep them from getting to your back line. So that's just one more sort of tool in your tool belt or weapon in your arsenal uh, to protect your back line, that's great. Um, also with the slasher feet, when you get a critical hit on uh, on an enemy, which you'll be doing a fair amount because you're making multiple attacks per turn and you're rolling with advantage. Um, when you crit them, they will have disadvantage until your next turn, which is a great way to prevent uh, your friends or oftentimes yourself from taking damage. They, they typically are going to have advantage when attacking you, right? Because you're attacking recklessly. So now, at the very least, you've prevented them from getting advantage on you because, as you know, if one person has advantage but then they also get disadvantage, then they cancel out and it's just normal. So that's gonna, that's gonna keep you and your friends from, uh, from taking some damage. So that's a nice little upgrade for the Barbarian. The Munger. Poor Munger. One of my least watched videos. <laughs> For how long it's been out. I love monks so much, as you guys know. Um, but they just didn't get a lot of love here, and they're still one of the weaker classes, unfortunately, for damage. They're still so cool! But damage, especially later, they're not fantastic. Um, early levels, they're actually pretty good, and they got a nice little bump at the early levels uh, with Tasha's. So, if you love monks and or if you're going with a campaign that's going to end around 8 or 9 or 10, um, they're, they're as good as almost any build out there for, for damage, and they're super cool. But anyway, um, if, that's if you build them right. Lucky for you, you know how to build them right. So, um, now, I've heard some rumblings about pairing the new Beast Barbarian subclass that was introduced in Tasha's with a monk. Um, beast barbarians, they get they, they get natural weapons, so their fists can turn into claws, essentially, and then it gives them some extra damage on their unarmed strikes. Um, so you can see the appeal. They actually get an extra attack as well. <clears throat> um, it could be done, but it's a very different build than this, because it would be strength-based. Rage, you don't get rage damage unless you're making strength attacks, right? Um, I might do a Barbarian Monk build. In fact, especially considering the new feat um, that uh, that they, they're sorry, a new fighting style that they came out with, um, the unarmed fighting, fighting style, that, that gives you a bump to your unarmed strikes. Again, making your unarmed strikes do a D6 or even a D8 of damage if you don't have armor or a shield, like monks don't have. Um, at first it looks perfect. And then you realize that it's for strength-based attacks, and you go, Come on, wizards! I don't want a hulking monk that pecks or, you know, ripping the seams of his G. I want a dexterous, agile kung fu master, and they seem determined to not give me a really strong one. But anyway, um, I, I think I'm probably going to have to do a beast barbarian monk build in the future. Um, and I think it might be really good. We will see. Stay tuned. Um, as for this build, the Munger, ugliest name ever, 
Starting uh, off, obviously, you're gonna you're gonna be the you know the new um, the new race that I can for some reason always struggle uh, remembering what to call it the uh, the custom lineage. Whew. Um, you you want the free feet because since you since the custom lineage gives you plus two to uh, an ability, which you would do dexterity, right? You have a 17, and then if you take a feat like the new skill expert, that would let you bump your dex one more and then gain proficiency in an extra skill, and let you double your proficiency bonus for one skill that you're proficient in, much like the rogue's or bard's expertise, right? That's really cool and nice and helpful for utility and roleplay purposes especially. Um, or you could take the new slasher feat, like we already discussed with Bear Barb, um, since we're going to be using a longsword still, you're doing slashing damage and that lets you bump your decks and then do the other cool things that we just talked about. Um, either of those feats would let you start level 1 with an 18 dexterity and that's fantastic. Um, and then when you hit level 4 you're already capped at 20 on your dexterity. So again, a nice early level bump for us, plus some additional kind of utility and cool features. Um, the main difference with this build is that I probably would not recommend going Kensei, Way of the Kensei on the Monk anymore. Um, there were some things that we got from the Kensei that we don't really need anymore. You know, uh, as was pointed out to me, so here's another errata, um, you cannot make two weapon attacks with your longsword that the Kensei was using and still get the bump to AC. One of those has to be an unarmed strike. Um, so that was a damage decrease in order to get the AC increase, which that was that that was a little sad. Um, <clears throat> if um, oh sorry, the other reason that we were going Kensei was because it let us use a longsword as a monk weapon, and no other subclass could do that. But there's a new feature now, a new optional class feature, as per Tasha's, um, called the dedicated weapon feature that basically lets you choose any simple or martial weapon and make it a monk weapon. So anybody can take a longsword. And again, that's a d10 for us, at least at first, um, because we're using two hands, and so it's versatile, and that does not disqualify it. Um, it cannot be a heavy or a special weapon, but this doesn't say anything about versatile. So we can use a two-handed attack on a longsword and still kick with our feet. You know, or punch somebody with our elbows or headbutt them for our, un our unarmed strikes. Um, so another reason that we don't really need Kensei, the only other really nice feature from Kensei was uh, the sharpen the blade feature, which you don't get until Monk 11, and that would, at the cost of three key points, was letting us up our weapon to a plus three weapon, essentially. The problem is it's expensive, and the reality is, by the time you're level 11 in Monk, which would be a level 14 overall, since we took three levels in Ranger, um, you don't, uh, you probably have a nice magical weapon by then, right? And you probably don't need a plus three weapon that badly. It might give you a little bump over, say, a plus two longsword that you might be using or something like that, but. You know what I'm saying. So Kente is just not as appealing as it used to be. Um, <clears throat> and that way we can save more key points for all of the cool monkey things that we like to do, like uh, stun people. <clears throat> so 
I'm gonna recommend The Way of Astral Self. Um, that is, it's not really new to Tasha's, but it was kind of republished in Tasha's and updated a little bit, I think. Um, I don't love it thematically, personally. I wanna be a kung fu master, not a weird sort of starry, new agey guy that has astral projections of arms and body parts coming out of them, but for optimization <laughs> purposes, um, Astral Self gives you some nice nice little bonuses. Um, it lets your unarmed strikes have a 10-foot reach now instead of five. That's kind of nice. Um, when you first bring out your magic arms, it does a little AoE area of effect damage, which is kind of cool. Um, you get some nice utility at level six from it that I'm not going to get into. Um, and at level 11, you get a little damage bump. When you hit an enemy with an unarmed strike once per turn, you can essentially roll two, two dice uh, as opposed to one. So it's almost like a, a guaranteed crit on one of your unarmed strikes once per turn. Um, you know, by level 11 in Monk, that's a d8, an extra d8 for us, so that's not bad. Um, regardless, when I get this character to level 17, I am asking my dungeon master to let me re-spec, as it were, and go way of the open uh, hand way of the open hand so I can get the Quivering Palm feature, which is the coolest ability in Dungeons & Dragons 5e, as far as I'm concerned. And and it does talk a lot about that in Tasha's. Um, again, just the, the emphasis is really on sort of letting players customize their character, reinvent and, and modify and evolve their characters, and they encourage Dungeon Masters to allow their players to take a new subclass. Um, maybe at a, at a cost of time and or money and or resources um, and maybe they have to go on a, on, a, on a side quest to accomplish it or whatever but I love that. I love that. I love the idea of letting your character evolve as, you, as your character evolves and changes and things happen in the story to make them take a different path. I think it's fantastic and just leads to not only more character options for you know optimization purposes but more character options for roleplay purposes, and, and that is fabulous. Um, as far as the three levels that we were taking in Ranger, not really changing anything. Uh, you do get, Rangers do get at level one sort of a poor man's hunter's mark now. Well, if you, <clears throat> if you take the new favored foe optional class feature instead of the old um, favorite enemy that Rangers had, it's basically, you, you mark a target and it lets you do an extra 1d4 of damage once per turn. So not on every hit like Hunter's Mark does. So it is definitely a poor man's Hunter's Mark. Um, but when we first start taking Ranger's levels, Ranger levels, it's a nice little bump. Um, you only get to use it a number of times, uh, you know, your proficiency, that, that many times per long rest. Um, once you get Hunter's Mark, it's pretty worthless, unless you're out of spell slots. So it just kind of feels like Wizards tried really hard, I feel like, to, to improve and buff the Ranger. Personally, I don't feel like they did enough. Um, I'll get into it more when I talk about my Beastmaster build later. Um, I just, I don't know. I can see the intent was there. I don't know if, when you crunch the numbers, if they really hit the mark. Maybe you disagree, and maybe I'll find out that I'm wrong myself, but anyway. Um, we're still gonna go with the Hunter 
subclass because that you know 1d8 per turn that you get from Colossus Slayer is probably still our best damage per round option. Um, so overall with the Munger build, we got a, a nice little bump at the early levels. Um, doesn't really do too much for us, just a little bit of a bump at the later levels and 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 monks and the Munger build and any other monk build I could come up with for that matter that let you mostly take monk levels just really suffers at late game. They just don't scale as well as a lot of other classes. It's their biggest weakness. So um, especially if the campaign is not going to go long, but and or you really want to play a monk, uh, there's a nice up update upgrade for it. And, you know, all that said, if you do play this character into late levels, you can, at level 17, go away of the open hand, get Quivering Palm, and insta-gib uh, all of the bad guys and feel like a awesome kung fu warrior. The Assassinator. This ridiculous guy. The rogue, sorcerer, paladin, f ranger. <laughs> and actually, if I were, I mentioned this, I think, in a later episode, if I were to build this build today for a character, I would even take two levels of fighter. So you could get um, Action Surge, which was a, a silly oversight on my part when I first made uh, this episode. Yeah, you lose some Sorcerer levels and therefore a little less damage on Smites, but Action Surge, um, to get all those extra attacks, obviously is going to more than make up for it. Um, and in fact, put this build at doing over 500 damage in a single round, which is stupid. Um, now, we do get a small buff for the Assassinator. Uh, because now, thanks to the custom lineage, and starting with a 17 dexterity plus a feat, you know, we'd take Elven Accuracy right at level 1 and have an 18 dexterity and triple advantage from the get-go, which is great, right? Um, a big change to this build is the oft-maligned, rage-inducing change of um, the nerf to... Shadow Blade, Booming Blade, no longer working. So, in case you didn't know, with Tasha's, um, the the Booming Blade and Green Flame Blade cantrips now say that there is a material component of the spell, and that material component is the weapon that you are using to essentially make your attack with, and that weapon has to be a weapon that's worth at least one silver piece. And since Shadow Blade is an illusory lightsaber, um, it doesn't qualify rules as written. Um, now, I know <clears throat> that there has been a tweet by Jeremy Crawford lately, uh, recently, that says at his table he would allow it. Um, but he kind of basically says, yeah, rules as written doesn't work. But at my table, I would. And some people have taken that to mean, will Shadow Blade and Booming Blade work then? Because Jeremy Crawford would allow it at his table. Unfortunately, I cannot assume what your Dungeon Master will and will not allow. And I have to go on rules as written. Rules as written, it doesn't work. Um, that said... If I'm not mistaken, and maybe someone will convince me that I am, um, there's nothing that 
says that you can't say, for example, have a short sword in your offhand, as it were, shadow blade in your main hand, make all of your attacks that qualify for shadow blade, and then we were we were quickening the cantrip booming blade. Um, you cannot make booming blade with the shadow blade, but I don't know why you couldn't quicken booming blade and make it with a short sword that you're holding in your offhand. Um, remember, I'm I'm not two weapon fighting. I know that you can't two weapon fight this way if you're using a cantrip, right? Um, I'm not two weapon fighting. I'm simply quickening the booming blade spell. And that simply says you brandish the weapon used in the spell's casting, doesn't say what hand it has to be in, and make a melee attack with it against one creature within five feet of you. Um, so again, until somebody proves me otherwise, uh, I'm saying you can use it. Now, of course, we're, we're missing out on all of those d8s that we were getting from Shadowblade, right? When we make that booming blade attack, because now it's just a d6 with a short sword. So it is a damage reduction, no question. Um, especially because, if you remember, these attacks were all critting, right? Because we were an assassin making a surprise round attack, and so everything that we land crits. Um, so yeah, it's, it's less damage, no question. Um, but we can still do it. We just have to use a d6 instead of the shadow blade on that one uh, attack, and we were getting lots of attacks. Um, let's see. Yeah, so you know, it's probably going to take the damage, it'll probably still be over 500. I haven't crunched the numbers because it's ridiculous. It might take it down to 490 or something like that, right? Um, it's still insane. And sorry, that was at level 20. It's still insane, it's still really good. Um, and I would love to try this in game, uh, but yeah, if if you're looking for a strong burst damage single round of destruction character, it's going to be hard to do better than the Assassiner. Last but definitely not least, the Eldritch Sorcerer. Um, Eldritch Sorcerer probably benefits more from Tasha's than any of the other builds we've talked about it talked about so far of the first six. It gets some really nice bumps. Um, so again, this is the three levels of Warlock, the rest of the le levels in Sorcerer, casting darkness on yourself and Eldritch blasting everything along with spiritual weapon. Um, it's, it's strong and gives you lots of support uh, functionality as well. But getting the free feet at level one uh, and elven accuracy is great. Again, starting with a plus two to charisma, plus one from elven accuracy. Now you have an 18 charisma at level one. Um, we weren't uh, we weren't previously getting elven accuracy until level seven. And so it makes your early levels much stronger. You might be noticing a theme here. Uh, we're getting a lot of early level, early game bumps here. Um, I think also with this build, I would also change the patron to the genie for the same reasons as, uh, as I mentioned um, before. I just like that guaranteed sustained damage. Um, and it's just cool to think about having a little lamp that you carry around and sometimes you can get sucked into to, uh, to, to find some respite respite and safety. Um, Hexblade does give you better defense with medium armor and a shield, so be careful. But um, I'm, I'm making that change when I'm crunching the numbers here, adding that uh, proficiency 
bonus in damage once per turn. Um, as for your Pact Boon, let's talk about Pact of the Chain. Or sorry, let's talk about Pact of the Talisman. We were going Pact of the Chain before. Pact of the Talisman is really cool. Um, it has a, a nice little DPR edge to it over Pact of the Chain, uh, and I will explain. So, with Pact of the Talisman, you have a you know a magical necklace essentially, which by the way you can give to one of your allies. You can wear it and benefit from it, or one of your allies can. And uh, right at the beginning, it lets you you or whoever's wearing the talisman um, get to roll an extra D4 to a failed ability check. Um, you get to do that a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest. And so that's great, nice little utility. And then later, um, you can get the new invocation. Uh, it's called the Rebuke of the Talisman. And it lets you, as a reaction, deal your proficiency bonus in damage when you or an ally take damage, when you get hit by a creature. You can rebuke them. And it's awesome because no saving throw, no to hit, it's just guaranteed damage. It's not a ton of damage, but I mean, you're basically going to be able to use it every round. And we didn't have a lot of, um, we didn't have a lot of uses for our reaction previously, so free guaranteed damage is always super great. So we're going talisman, and I love it. Um, there are other cool talisman invocations you can get later, but remember, we're stopping at Warlock 3, so we're not going to get access to, to the rest of them. Um, so, let's see. Yeah, everything else was, was basically the same with this, but it does get a nice damage bump. Now, and, and, I've, and I've corrected the numbers, and you'll see them if you look in the graphs and the spreadsheets. Um, there is an alternate path here if you're tired of multi-classing into Warlock. I know I, I do it kind of a lot in these first few builds. Um, there is an al alternate path here. I, I wouldn't recommend it, actually, for a couple of reasons, but, but it might work for you. So uh, listen up. Instead of going three levels of Warlock, you just... And, and instead of going Divine Soul Sorcerer, which we were doing before, Divine Soul Sorcerer is great. It's got a lot, a lot of perks, most importantly access to the entire cleric spell list, right? Um, but if you're okay giving that up, you go Shadow Sorcerer from the get-go. And at level three, Shadow Sorcerers get a feature called Eyes of the Dark, for those who don't know. And it lets them cast darkness using sorcerer points, sorcery points. Two sorcery points you can cast darkness, and when you do it that way, instead of using a spell slot, you can see in the darkness. So you don't even need the Devil's Sight invocation, right? Now you can cast darkness on yourself, just like we were already doing. You're getting advantage. <clears throat> um, what you're missing, of course, is the Eldritch Blast cantrip and um, the Agonizing Blast uh, Warlock invocation. Fortunately, we could take the Magic Initiate feat, Warlock, right? And pick up Eldritch Blast along with another uh, Warlock spell, maybe Hex. I'd probably do that as your free feat at level 1, instead of Elven Accuracy. And um, now there is the new Eldritch Adept feat, which lets you take an Eldritch Invocation, even though you're not a Warlock, right? So you take the Eldritch Adept feat at level 4, um, and now you have your Darkness, you can see in it, you've got your... Um, You've got your Eldritch Blast and your Eldritch Blast 
is uh, is doing bonus damage. Um, sorry, because yeah, the Eldritch Adept feat, you're taking Agonizing Blast. I probably didn't even mention that. Uh, Agonizing Blast then is going to let you add your Charisma bonus to the damage of your Eldritch Blast, right? So these are important things to have. They were integral to the build. Now, you won't get Elven Accuracy until level 8, which hurts a little bit. More importantly, from just a pure DPR perspective, you're not going to have Spiritual Weapon. And this build was was depending on Spiritual Weapon for, for a good chunk of its damage. Because um, you won't have Cleric Spells. So, um, you also, yeah, and of course you won't have access to those Cleric Spells like I mentioned. What you get in return, however, might be worth it for you. Um, you get faster access to your, your more sorcery points and your higher level spell slots. So if you're going with this build um, because you like doing good, strong, sustained damage while also being able to support pretty well, I wouldn't change it. Do the Warlock and the Divine Soul Sorcerer. But if you're going with this build primarily because you like doing pretty good sustained damage as a sorcerer, without using your spell slots, and you want to get to those high-level world-bending uh, spells that, that sorcerers get at 6th you know, and 7th and 8th and ninth level spells um, as quickly as possible, then go for it. But again, overall, this was probably the biggest DPR uh, bump of all of our builds, so I was really happy with the changes to, uh, to the Eldritch Sorcerer. Check it out if you haven't. Final thoughts? Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, happy Thanksgiving uh, for those that are living in the States and uh, watching this before Thanksgiving comes, which is this week as I'm recording this. Um, or not. If you're, if you're not, you know, happy Thanksgiving anyway, if you don't celebrate it. Uh, this year, I am thankful for you guys. You're fantastic. And... and for this game that I love to play and fills uh, me with so much joy. So that's our show for the week. Thank you for watching. Really appreciate it. As always, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Email me at dndoptimized at gmail.com. Uh, especially if you have a build that you would like to see me do an episode on, make sure to include as much information as possible. And... Uh, I will take it, add it to the list, and hopefully, eventually, do my best to optimize it for you. Thanks, everybody. Have a fantastic day. Love you guys, and we will see you soon.